Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 is where we're going to find ourselves today. This is our anchor scripture. If you are new with us online or in the house today, uh, here at the Wells, we work through these conversations that we call series. Um, we take a, a, a particular piece of scripture and we kind of anchor the next few weeks in it. So it helps us really kind of steward one thought process. And that's what we're uh, finding ourselves in in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. That's anchoring every, uh, every week right now as a, uh, as a church. It says this, whenever you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things that you need before you Ask them. That's pretty good news right there, right? Therefore, you should pray like this. And now, now Jesus is going to line up. This is who's speaking right now. He's going to line up some things that we need to understand about prayer. And he says, when you pray like this, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today as we continue on in our series, Your Kingdom Come, I want to speak to you from the subject, prayers that fit. Prayers that fit. As we take a look at building a life of faith in our prayer life that can accommodate the answers to our prayers. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, and it's able to transform us from the inside out. And so today we ask, with our ears open and our hearts ready to receive from you, that we would hear your voice, not Jason's voice, your voice. God, we need you right now. We're asking your will be done right now on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're seeking you. We're needing to hear from you. Teach us now. In Jesus' mighty name, come on. And everybody shouted, amen. amen. Um, so my kids asked me the other day for an iPhone. Hey, Dad, Mom, can we have an iPhone? Of course, our quick answer was absolutely not. There's no way we're getting you an iPhone right now. And they're like, how come? And so we started to go through, and parents, maybe you've been through this before, when your kids ask for something that they have no business having, right? And uh, many of us, whether you have kids or not, many of us have asked for things that we have no business having. But we started to work through the conversation with them, and they're like, how come we can't have an iPhone? And, I was, and we, we started to work through it, and I was like, listen, you, didn't, you don't even know the power of an iPhone. Like really what you want it for so that you can play video games on it, which is why you have a Switch, right? So they're trying to convince us back and forth like, oh, well, no, we can do this. And then here's the process they started going through. They started dumbing down the ability of the iPhone so they could try to get it. They're like, well, we won't use it for this, and we won't use it for this, and we won't use it for this, and we won't use it for this. And I'm like, then why have the iPhone? Like, what's the point? I can get you a circa 1982 cell phone if that's what you need. And that will be awesome, right? And they're like, no, no, we need, a, we need an iPhone. I'm like, well, one, you don't need anything. Um, secondarily, you're not ready to need an iPhone. And then, and then they're like, well, Dad, when, how old do we have to be to get an iPhone? I'm like, 43. That's like the, that's the age to which we believe that you will be ready to handle an iPhone. This is what I noticed the other day when I was having a conversation with them about this, is that they were asking like we do when it comes to prayer, they were asking for something that their current self couldn't handle. Which is funny, because you and I do that with prayer as well. Many times we will find ourselves approaching God in prayer, if we're honest and we just dial into it for a minute. Many of us are praying 
to God for things, praying to God to do something that we're actually not ready to handle. We're asking for a miracle that we're not able to steward. Here's maybe a better way of looking at it. This is how we approach prayer. We are asking God for things that our character is unable to steward. Instead of praying prayers that fit. Many times we are praying prayers that don't fit our current position and posture. Here's what I need us to wrestle with today. If we're we're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down because I think this is important for us. We can't pray for what we are unwilling to transform for. We can't pray for what we are unwilling to transform for. Throughout scripture, you will read that one of the greatest pieces of our relationship with God is a transformational reality. We're going to talk about that as we get into the points in in a few moments here. But the truth is, is if we're honest, if we really dial into it, many of us are praying prayers, hoping, come on, We're hoping and wishing that God would do this instead of understanding the faith aspect and how God actually dials in to the prayers that we pray. So we're simply looking at this, if we can just kind of challenge it for a second, many of us are actually viewing, not that we're doing it on purpose, but many of us view prayer as Christian magic. Instead of prayer as a request to our Father. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? Online, if you're with me. Because the reality is, to grow in our prayer life, we first have to understand that God is a good steward. And because he's a good steward, come on, all the, all the people in the house that would understand, we don't give over things to people who can't steward them well. Right? Like, I'm not going to get, like, this is our house. Maybe, maybe it's not yours, but um, I drove my car through my garage kind of into my house when I was 15 years old learning how to, to drive clutch. That's a true story. Okay? I'm a good driver now. Long time later, right? But I drove my car learning how to, to do clutch, and, and this is the reason my mom on the backside said, this is why I will never get you a new car. Right? I am not going to buy, like my son has tendencies like me. So my son is not going to get a brand new car when he turns of age, even though he's of age, he's going to get a bicycle. (laughs) But like, prove yourself on this and then we'll move to the next phase, okay? But I use that as an illustration to help us understand that many times we are praying things, and I'm going to say this as a strong challenge, we're praying things that we have no business to pray. And then we find ourselves frustrated with God because he doesn't answer the prayer that we're wanting, when really there's another process that we've got to dial into. We can't pray for what we're unwilling to transform for. Transformation is the journey. We are all in the process of becoming. Our prayers become the support system. I want us to hear this. Our prayers become the support system for what is changing in us rather than the acquisition of what would help us stay the same. Are you tracking with me? So for many of us, we're actually praying prayers to enable where we're at. Instead of praying prayers to challenge us and change us into where God is trying to take us. We're actually praying prayers and praying for things that would actually enable us in the current position that we're in. Let's talk to the singles in the house right now. For some of the singles, we're praying for relationship 
We're praying for God to bring that someone into our life. But the problem is the prayer is coming from a place of dysfunction rather than function. So we're asking God to give us something that will enable our dysfunction instead of asking God for wholeness. So that when the relationship comes, I can step into it with wholeness. It's getting quiet in this little church today. Come on, somebody. Because God's greatest business, God's greatest desire in our lives, if I can just say this today, is to transform us, not keep us the same. And so in the name of trying to deepen our prayer and allow us a space, remember this whole series about prayer is not teaching us how to pray, say this word and say this word and do it this way and close your eyes and look like you're hurting while you do it, okay? That's not prayer. That's not what we're trying to do, right? We always look so spiritual when I'm like hurting, oh God. Like that's not what it is, okay? That's not prayer. What we're trying to do is help us understand what prayer is at a deeper level so that we can engage in it in a way that actually is effective and brings impact into our lives. So transformation's the, the journey. See, the truth is, is that many of our prayers, if we're honest, are prayers that are really inconsequential and maybe not even serious. They're just things that we throw out in the name of our religiosity. Oh, I'm supposed to pray, I'm a Christian, right? Oh, I'm praying for you today. That's just like another way to say bye, right? I love my wife. I got to brag on my wife because my wife is doing this a lot lately and I've, and I've noticed it. She'll, so, so, someone will say like, hey, can you pray for me? And they're expecting, yeah, we'll be praying for you. How many of you have like been through this moment before? Like, hey, can you pray for me? We're like, yeah, we'll pray for you. Praying for you. Pray for you. Bye. <laughs> so she makes it awkward and she's like, can we pray right now? And they're like kind of taken back. And then she goes in and like, hey, let's pray right now. Why? Because we're moving from prayer just being a part of this religious format to a transformational experience. That's what she's wanting. She said, let me lay hands on you and pray right now. Or like socially distance prayer, whatever, wherever we're at, okay? My attempt today is to convince us that our prayer life can and should be a stronger part of our walk of faith. There's many of us in here today, you are on the spectrum of faith. For some of you, you have been pursuing Jesus for years now. And for some of you, you are here today because somebody tricked you. <laughs> They're like, hey, come to this place. It kind of feels like a club. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, on a Sunday morning. Dope. Come on, right? And then you walk in. They're, like, They're asking me to lift my hands. Okay? And you're there. You're like, I'm new to this whole faith thing. I'm kicking the tires on this whole Jesus thing. I don't know what to think about it. And it doesn't matter where you're at. I want to encourage you, whether you are 20 years into following Jesus or you are two seconds trying to figure this thing out, prayer can change and will change your life. And can be one of the most vibrant and beautiful aspects of our relationship with Jesus. Here's, here's the truth that kind of sits at the, sits at the foundation of all of this. Jesus' instruction to us was not just to pray, but to pray in alignment. He didn't just say pray. He said pray like this. Everybody shout this. Yeah. Come on, shout this. Yeah. Why did he say this? Because he would then instruct us on what prayer should look like. And everything in that prayer is an alignment language. He's using language that teaches us, hey, we need to pray with God's heart. We need to pray to be in tune with God's heart. Our prayers need to transform from God give me this to God, what do you have for me today? Where are you moving at today? What do you want to do in me today? What do you want to do in my family today? What do you want to do in my relationships today? What do you want to do in my work today? What do you want to do in my world today? What do you want to do in my city today? What do you want to do in my, in my, in my, in my, you fill in the blank. 
So prayer all of a sudden turns into this beautiful moving part of our relationship with Jesus. Not this ethereal weird thing that we just do at dinner. It's so much more. And part of that language is he says this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the language of alignment. And so what I want to do today is I want to just ask us a few questions that I think are really important to ask ourselves. Can we get practical? How many of you love practical? Okay, I, I, I can get down with you on the whole prayer thing, Jason. So help me out here. How do, how do we do this? I want to give you a, a few questions that I ask myself in prayer to make sure that my prayers are prayers that fit. I want to take some time to look at what prayers that fit look like. How do we align ourselves in such a way with Jesus that what comes out of us in our prayers says this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Does that work for us this morning? All right, come on. Here's the first, here's the first question we need to ask. Is my prayer transactional or is it transformational? Is my prayer transactional or is it transformational? In other words, am I going to God to get something or am I going to God to have him do something in me? Am I asking just simply for something? Or am I asking for a movement on the inside of me that changes everything? See, we don't need church to have transformation. Can I just be real? Like this building doesn't transform you. Right? These four walls don't transform you. We've learned that over the past six months in this COVID 2020, because lives are being changed as 10 of us stood in the building and spoke to a camera. Now, is being in the house with you awesome? 100%, I love it. It's so great to be able to gather and there's something special about it. But can I tell you that where you connect with the God of heaven, it can be in a park, it could be on your bicycle, right? It could be at your workplace, it could be sitting at a table by yourself, it could be in your car, your bedroom, your living room, your kitchen, wherever you're watching church right now at, no matter where you find yourself at, if I can just connect to the God of heaven more than in just a transactional way, everything can be transformational. I can have church in a parking lot. Lot. I'm going to have church in a restaurant. I'm going to have church in my home. I have church by myself. I've often found myself just shouting at myself in the mirror. We need to move our prayers beyond transactional conversations to transformational moments. John chapter 15, 7 through 8 says this, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. Many of us heard this before. We, we've heard that when it comes to prayer, ask forever, for whatever it is that you want and it'll be done for you. Come on, show of hands. Like just therapeutic one. How many of you are like, that's a really cool part of the Bible, right? <laughs> We're like, yeah, I like that part. Can I have that part? And so many times what we do is we segment scripture out and we say, well, oh, prayer, like somebody said, like, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. But that's actually not the truth about what prayer is. He says the, the, there's a prerequisite to prayer. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Do you guys see the, the prerequisite? So he's not just saying, go to God and ask for whatever you want. My kids ask for whatever they want every single day. Right? I kid you not, four weeks ago, my kid asked to drive the car. My son. He literally did. He's like, hey, Dad, can I drive? I was like, absolutely not. You barely know how to walk. Right? If you remain in me 
and my words remain in you, what happens? All of a sudden we have alignment, and in alignment, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Why? Because the, the disposition of our heart, the disposition of our mind, the content of our soul starts directing our prayers rather than the desire of my flesh. I've asked God for a six-pack I don't know how many times. <laughs> right? But that's not in alignment. Why? He doesn't care. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And so that's why we can, we can lay hands on Bree and believe for her mom to be healed. Right? You see what I'm talking about? Like you're tracking with me today. Don't get quiet on me. Like I need, to, I need us to understand as a church that there's something important about that. And then he goes on to say, why? Why do we need prayer to look like this? Because my Father is glorified by this. That you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Not that you prove to have all kinds of cool stuff going on in your life. So this is what Scripture's working with when it comes to our prayer. Here's what I need us to see. Transformational prayers are only possible when our prayers are produced from a place of abiding. Here's a better way to ask it. What are you sitting in? Because what you're sitting in will dictate what you say. What your atmosphere is will dictate what it is that is being produced in you and coming out of you. So when I abide in Christ, come on somebody, my prayers are Christ-like. When I abide in Jesus, my prayers are Jesus-centered. When I'm sitting in a place where I'm saying, listen God, I want to station myself in you. All of a sudden, what comes out of me is God's heart. I'm not just going downstairs and praying over my kids at night when we put them to bed, going, oh God, please make them behave. That's not my prayer. Why? Because that's me. So I put them into bed and I pray over them. God, tonight as they sleep, will you continue to grow them into who you have them to be? Do you see the difference? I don't just pray for our marriage. I don't just be like, hey, God, can you, like, make this work? That's not what we're going for. We're saying, God, can our marriage bring glory and honor to your name? You see the difference? And now all of a sudden things start changing. But here's what, what changes. Is that transformational prayers require us to engage in them. Here's what I mean by that. We ask God for patience, so we must endure a trial. We ask God to grow us, so we must take responsibility. We ask God for resources, so we must learn stewardship. Right? We ask God for health, so we must become disciplined. Right? We're once again on another little health journey right now, trying to, we're, our goal as a married couple right now is best by 40. Best by 40. Like, I want to be my best body, my best health, our best marriage, like, every, best by 40. That's what we're going for right now. And guess what I prayed for? I was like, God, can you just, like, make this really easy for me? Whoosh. <laughs> guess what didn't happen? Right? But guess what I was engaged in? Like, all of a sudden, it moved from that to, like, yeah, sure, best by 40. Learn discipline. Track your macros. Start working out. Walk that dude that and I'm like, oh, but that's hard. Right? We're praying. Can I just be challenging today? 
as your pastor, everybody's like, no, don't say anything. Come on, can you, can you give me permission to poke a little bit, right? We're praying, we're praying to God for the promotion, but we refuse to get there on time. Right? It's, it's stewardship. We're praying for a healthy marriage, but I refuse to engage in forgiveness. I'm praying for purity, but I refuse to stop looking at porn. Can we talk in church today? I'm praying for abundance, but I refuse to steward what I have. See, there's a reality here where we're expecting God to do something that doesn't exist in our character. Because we're not asking for transformation, we're asking for something that we believe transforms us. And that stuff doesn't transform us, transformation comes and gives us the ability to steward what God wants to bring into our lives. So I need to begin the process of change. So now it goes, God, would you give me the strength, help me be a person of discipline. And all of a sudden out of that, things start to change. And then one day, God does the miraculous, and guess what? You're in the position to steward it. Are you tracking with me, church? Come on, online, come on, if you're with me today. This is what prayer is about. Here's the second question that we've got to ask ourselves. Is my prayer unrestricted or is it an ultimatum? Is my prayer unrestricted or is it an ultimatum? So for the sake of time, I'm not going to read these 11 verses, but Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 shows us this conversation that takes, uh, takes place between God and Jonah. Jonah is this dude that God said, hey, I need you to go declare a message to these people. They're really frustrating me. They're living crazy. I need you to go and I need you to tell that I'm, I'm upset with them. And in doing so, I'm praying and hoping that they'll kind of turn from their ways and change it. Jonah's like, ah, don't really want to do that. So he has a little bit of an argument with God. And then by the time he goes through this whale process and a couple other different things, you can check it out on Veggie Tales, you, or in the Bible, one of the, one of the two. <laughs> but he goes through this process. He gets to this place where he declares this message. God changes his mind, so to speak, and says, hey, I'm going to take care of these people. And then Jonah gets mad. Jonah gets mad at God because God proves himself to be gracious and good and kind, which is an interesting thing to get mad at God for, right? And so in these 11 verses in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, you see this discourse take place between Jonah and God. And Jonah, in essence, gives God an ultimatum because he's like, you didn't do it my way, so I'd, I'd be better off dead. That's what he said. That's what Jonah says to God. You didn't do it my way. So I would be better off dead than working this out with you. Here, here's a better way to, to deal with this ultimatum thing versus unrestricted prayers. Is my faith dependent upon my desired answer? In other words, God, if you don't do this, I can't, I can't believe in you. If you don't do this, I can't follow you. If you don't do this, I can't have faith in you. Is my faith dependent upon my desired outcome? See, here's what I've come to learn about maturity in prayer. 
is that maturity in prayer is the ability to not just accept a yes, but to accept a no or a wait as well. But how many of you would agree with me right now that we have a tendency to be kids that just have more responsibility? Because my kids, if I say wait, they freak out. If I say no, they freak out. What they really want is me to just say yes. Right? Like if, I, if they're like, hey, dad, I know that the answer has to be yes or it's nuclear fallout. Right? But how, how much are we like God in that? Or we, we do that with God. We're like, God, I really actually don't want to know and I don't want to wait. I don't want to maybe. I want yes. And if you don't give me yes, I'm piecing out of this thing. Again, we're kind of in this place in 2020 where as your pastor, I want to make sure that we're digging into the stuff that we need to dig into. I don't want to go light and fluffy with this because it doesn't help us grow. I want us to get to the place where our prayers become the very bedrock of our faith that we actually can engage with God saying, God, I don't know what your answer is to this. I know that I don't have your perspective on things. I don't see things the way that you see them, but I'm going to trust you with my prayers. So I'm not giving you an ultimatum. I want you to have unfettered, unrestricted access to my life. So as I pray, I'm opening up myself and saying, God, have your way, your will be done on earth as it is heaven. That's unrestricted prayers. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do I have the ability to accept no just as much as I desire to have a yes? Did you know that God saying no is just him saying yes to something else for you? Him saying no is just another way to say yes to something else. And this is a problem for many of us is that we get frustrated with prayer because prayer tends to produce more no's than it does yeses. <laughs> you ever notice that? This goes back to the alignment issue. Number three, here's the third question we must ask ourselves. Does my prayer have character or is it callous? In other words, what I mean by that, is my prayer simply a, a portion of my religious duty or is it and does it have Character. And this is what I mean by character. I want to give you a list. You're going to be able to see this. You can, you can take a picture of it if you can't write it down super fast. This is what the Bible shows us about prayer. And it gives us eight attributes about prayer. Prayer should be humble. You see this? These are the scripture references. So I'd encourage you to go back, check it out, read them. Prayer should be humble. Prayer should be bold. Come on, somebody. No, no, no. Let's try it again. Prayer should be bold. Come on, somebody. It should be the type of prayer that says, listen, I know that 2020 has been crazy, but 2021 is coming. And then in the first service, 10 a.m. did not believe that 2021 was coming. They were like, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I beg to differ. Just agree to disagree. Prayer should be bold. Prayer should be in faith. Prayer should be sincere. Prayer should be simple. I like that one. That one's my favorite. Prayer should be persistent. It means we keep on going to God. Prayer should be definite. And prayer should be in accord with his will. This is the character of prayer. This is what good prayer, prayers that fit look like. Because that's where transformation comes from. Here, here's what I don't want us to become. I never want us to become a church and Christ followers where prayer is just a regiment of our religiosity. Because it's dead prayer at that. Oh, I just, I just pray because that's what I have to do. No, I pray because it's every single day I'm engaging with God. 
And it's in that place with humble prayers and bold prayers and faith-filled prayers, sincere prayers and simple prayers and persistent, going to God daily, every minute. The Bible actually tells us to pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. Pray, 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 pray. Without ceasing. And you're like, how is that even possible? Prayer is not just some verbal thing that we're doing. Prayer without ceasing is actually just being in constant and continual place where you're trusting God with the simplest things of your life. I'm persistently praying, God, do this. God, I'm praying for this. God, transform me here. Oh, God, give me grace right now because I want to kill somebody. Right? So this is what the character of prayer looks like. And here's the fourth question we've got to ask ourselves when it comes to our prayer life. Is my prayer a declaration or is it defeated? Is my prayer a declaration or is it defeated? Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52 says this. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And notice that he began to cry out. There's an exclamation point right there. Son of David, have mercy on me. This was not a quiet plea. This was not a reserved plea. It was a declaration. And then watch what happens. Verse 48, many warned him to keep quiet. But he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. So Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling you. Now verse 50 is a weird verse for me. Because it says that this blind man, he threw off his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. When was the last time you saw a blind man do that? you got to read the Bible for what it is because there's some really cool things that are happening right here. This blind man throws off his coat, jumps up, and runs to Jesus. Verse 50 has always puzzled me because I started to ask myself the question, is it possible that the miracle was already beginning because of his declaration before he even met Jesus? And I need us to see that because I, I'm, I'm puzzled sometimes at verse 50. Verse 50 messes with my head. He threw his coat off and he jumped up and he came to Jesus. The Bible's offered us a lot of details about this scripture right here. They've given us the disposition of the crowd, telling him to be quiet so they don't seem like a helpful bunch. None of them are twos on the Enneagram, right? They, 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 they've told us that the blind man was yelling and that Jesus was presumably ignoring him, walking past him, to the effect that he had to call. So I would think in this moment right here, you would have the discourse potentially of being said, after Jesus called him, the crowd so helpfully walked over to him, picked him up and brought him over to Jesus as he was a blind beggar. Ah, uh-uh, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that after the declaration, verse 50, he threw off his coat, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. I don't know if he was still blind in this moment. I don't know what was going on, but I start to see faith in action right here. I start to see movement from the declaration that was starting to take place. And then Jesus asked the dumbest question. Some of you are like, did he just really say that about Jesus? I know. Check it out. Jesus goes, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Are you kidding me? I can picture Peter just like, guys, 
He's lost it. Someone tell Jesus he's blind. What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man said to him, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go. Your faith has saved you. Now, verse 52 tells us that my presumptions about verse 50 are not quite accurate because he was obviously still blind because immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. But it still doesn't stop me from believing that the miracle was starting to take place because of the declaration of his faith. Verse 50, he's declaring. And in verse 52, he's experiencing the miracle. And between those two verses, that blind man all of a sudden was transformed in a way that he could handle the miracle because the miracle was going to push him to follow Jesus on the road. The miracle was going to make it so that after he received his sight, he was going to continue on in the faith. He wasn't just a blind man who was defeated. He was now a man with a declaration. And in that declaration, he said that anything in Jesus is possible. And we need a church in 2020 and 2021 that can declare with Jesus anything is possible. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter the sickness. It doesn't matter the disease. It does not matter about the economy. It is possible in Jesus. Go. Your faith saved you. And so I shout right now because I'm letting a declaration out. That's for me in my life, for our house. I'm declaring over my life and over this church and over your lives, a 2020 may have sucked, but 2021's coming. Come on, somebody. What about this and what about that and what about this and what about that? I, doesn't matter. I'm just wondering if we can make a declaration if our prayers can be a declaration for God to do what God is going to do and for me to trust the process of it. I may not know the details, but guess what? The details should never determine my declaration. The details should never determine my declaration. The designer of my life should determine my declaration.